So, we hope you had a great break week last week and you are ready to and excited to um, come around God's Word again to get ourselves low before it, to be humble before it, and learn what He has for us together today. Um, Just a reminder that we're going to meet again together next week, then we'll be off for Thanksgiving week. We'll have two weeks in December that we meet and we'll be off then until January 15th. So, hang on. I can't believe we're almost halfway through our year, but it is true. Um, So, let's pray before we start. Oh, Father, we come to you as needy women, women who need a Savior, and women who need to hear the truth of your word over and over again. Lord, as Louise shared this morning, your word is pure. It is simple, making wise the simple. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for loving us, for giving yourself for us, for leaving the Holy Spirit with us to inter- and um, Lord, thank you for interceding for us even now as we come before your word. Lord, I do pray that we would bow low before it, that we would be humble before it, that we would sit under your word and under the things that you have for us this morning. Lord, thank you that you are a redeemer, that you are our good shepherd. Lord, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. What amazing truth, what amazing, amazing love you have for your dear children. And so, Lord, we come this morning wanting more of you, wanting to know you more, to love you more. And, Lord, we look forward to all that you have for us this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will help us to set aside the distractions of the morning, the distractions of the day ahead. And, Lord, that we might just sit at your feet and drink in all that you have for us. Lord, I thank you that in our weakness you are strong. And so, Lord, I come as your humble servant. And, Lord, it is your Holy Spirit that will take these words on this page and make them powerful and mighty to do your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn our binders over, and let's read together this morning our Wellspring purpose. So talk loud. We're going. Um, our purpose is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God, so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. So this is the lifelong purpose of process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. So we're going to look at discipline number one, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the Word of God, and in particular the gospel. You notice the adjective used to describe the way we are to shepherd our heart toward God? Through the Word of God, it's prayerfully. The beginning of our homework usually begins with a reminder to pray. We ask God to increase our appetite for Him, our desire, and to change us to be more like Him. Or we're instructed to take a few minutes and to quiet our hearts and pray, thanking God for His provision of His Word and asking Him to reveal more of Himself through His Word. We ask Him to open our eyes to see wondrous things in His law. Prayer prepares our hearts and rightly gives God due honor. We are in great need of a Savior, and through prayer we acknowledge that dependence upon our God. There is great benefit to praying His words back to Him, His very words back to Him in prayer. So in December, when we meet, Sarah is going to come and teach us more about prayer and why we ought to set our hearts to prayer. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, heart shepherding is an ongoing discipline. See that word, discipline? It takes discipline to have a mind that is set and focused on and in God's word throughout the day. 
we all have those times that we sit down with the word and our minds begin to wander to all the things that we have before us in the day, right? But we want to read our Bibles prayerfully and then extend what we've read into our life so that we are thinking biblically as we live out our day, so that we live gospel-transformed lives. Lives that are changed because the one and only God, who is holy, made us in his image to know him. But we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became man through Jesus. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for sins of all those who would ever turn and believe in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath has been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. As we repent in sin and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Ladies, the gospel brought near our hearts will change everything about us. It will change the way we think, the way we interact with one another. Our very lives will be changed by this. So as we think about um, maybe being at the beach and your kids have run into the water to play, before long, without realizing it, they're, they're up or down the coast, right? They've drifted. They've taken their eye off of you. And so you instruct them again to keep your eye on mom and dad so that you don't drift too far away, right? Well, that happens when hard shepherding takes discipline without being careful um, to keep our eyes on Jesus, paying attention to him, to instruct our hearts. Without that, we can easily wander also. We can also drift away from our God. We are vulnerable to all the mixed weaknesses, mixed condition weaknesses described in that pamphlet that we had, that gospel implications for the heart chart we received at the beginning of Wellspring. We are vulnerable, as we have learned, to being deceived, to legalism, to loving the world, to being self-confident, to growing weary of doing good, and so much more. The fact is, you and I know that the world we live in is constantly pulling us away from Christ. We don't have to work at taking our focus away from the gospel. It naturally happens. As long as we are in these earthly bodies, we fight against the flesh, keeping our focus on the gospel. Discipline. So we search ourselves with the word of God. God's word is living and it's active and it allows me to see my heart rightly. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He knows everything. For those who have been chosen by God, there is no fear in being condemned. So we can come to the word confidently. We're reminded that God crushed his only son on our behalf, in our place, paying for every sin. In Christ, for the believer, God only has love for us, compassion and deepest affection for us. And this love has no mixture in it of wrath whatsoever. We diligently pursue this God through, our, through his word. Well, in discipline, too, she ministers to the, those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Whether you have a household full of people or you live by yourself, you are the one responsible for making sure you have a heart for God and for the gospel in your home and whoever that God brings there and whoever you might see outside. There ought to be an aroma of Christ in us, and it ought to be noticed by others. It's something we can't hide. Well, minister means to attend to, to take care of, to look after, to help and assist. Discipline 2 tells us this ministering in her household is rooted in, motivated 
by her own heart for God and the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.14 said, For Christ's love compels us. So to be compelled is to be highly motivated. We're to be motivated by Christ's love for us. And where do we learn of this love? Where do we see his love displayed better than anywhere else? It's in the gospel. Proverbs 13.21 says, She looks well to the ways of her household. Proverbs 31 is a description of character we all strive for, married or unmarried. It's a description of character um, that we seek as a woman who fears the Lord above all else. There are godly traits which we all strive to emulate, and we find this passage helpful in that pursuit. So I'm looking forward to, in a couple of weeks, or actually next week, um, Chris is going to come, and we're going to start looking more closely at the home, this discipline too. Um, and we're going to look at Mary and Martha. And I've always found this um, lesson to be challenging and encouraging. I'm always emboldened and humbled to learn more about my role in the home. Well, discipline three is ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she now steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Every woman who is focused on consistent heart shepherding will be a valuable and irreplaceable role in the body of Christ for the mission of the gospel for Jesus. The woman who has been feasting on God and his word has something to say to others. That woman is helpful and useful for the church and for the gospel. We also we all want to be women who shepherd our heart toward Jesus Christ. And that takes intentionality, right? We are all counting on one another to be that kind of woman. We all have a role to play. We are a part of a body of Christ. Don't ever believe the lie that you are not important to this body of Christ. We will be equipped to deal with daily circumstances according to God's word. Then we will develop the discipline of rehearsing the gospel to ourselves by renewing our mind and reminding ourselves and others what Christ has done, what he's accomplished through the cross, This is why we are to soak ourselves, immerse ourselves, saturate, marinate in, and drench ourselves continually with the good news. We're for sure going to experience stresses and temptations, emotions, and hard things in our day. But these experiences won't undo us, and they they won't make us drift off course. Because we're able to think rightly about God and um, think rightly about our circumstances. We're able to shepherd shepherd our hearts toward Christ and the gospel. We're able to live gospel-transformed lives that strengthen our households, the church, and make much of our Savior. It's really important. So you received a handout today preaching the gospel to yourself. And if you've been here before, did you? So you're going to read that later on your own, but it's a good reminder about the relationship between the gospel and the word. It points out how important it is that preaching the gospel to ourselves. And by that, we mean remembering the gospel and using it in our shepherding of our heart. The gospel is not to be separated from the word of God. The gospel needs to be and stay central to, anchored in the scriptural context. And so we need to recognize that the gospel is the crown jewel of the word. We're not going to understand and apply God's word rightly if we don't understand the centrality of that gospel in the word. So we need to guard against, though, also focusing all on the gospel but neglecting the whole counsel of the word. So I hope that that article is helpful to you. 
So we have been learning about the condition of our hearts and how to direct our hearts to what it needs most. And now we move into caring for this heart, this gospel transforming in our hearts and how it's lived out in our homes. It's kind of a rubber meets the road kind of a lesson, kind of a study. The home is a training ground to put into practice what God has accomplished in our hearts. We have opportunities all through the day to trust him, to stand on his promises to us, and to display and encourage others in our home. So we're going to take out our outline. But before we get started, would you just take a couple of minutes at the top, and then we're going to have a little pop quiz. Um, What does shepherding your heart mean? Maybe this is your first year at Wellspring. Maybe you've been here for a few. Um, But write down so far your grasp and understanding. What does shepherding my heart mean? What comes to your mind first? I'm just going to give you a minute or so. Awesome, such studious women. Can you just shout out a few to me? A little louder. (laughs) Prayerfully bringing my heart to God's word. Very good. Prayerfully bringing my heart to God's word. Yes. Very good. Correcting myself with God's truth. So maybe you said spending time in God's word and prayer, keeping a journal, maybe a convictions and things, um, commands to follow, renewing my mind. All of those are right. Um, preaching the gospel to myself, absolutely. Engaging with the Lord, it is a must. Those are all true. And some of you, I'm sure, have listed more than those, and we're all in the process of learning more and more about what this looks like. If we come away, I just want to make the point, if we come away from our quiet time, our time with the Lord, or devotions, and we close up our Bible, and we put away our journals on the shelf and leave them till tomorrow, same place, same time, we've missed the whole of shepherding our hearts, right? Shepherding is more than that. It's engaging with the God of the Word, as you all said. Um, certainly preaching the gospel to myself and renewing my mind. This time set apart, set aside, is to renew my mind with scripture and to worship the Lord of all. So as we learned on Sunday, that we're to um, be in awe of God in the scripture and lose sight of ourselves and worship him. Maybe you answered, shepherding my heart is not only about meeting with God, but bringing my heart near his word, you did. But it's continuing, constant caring for, guarding and directing my heart. You are, that is so true. If you said dealing with my sin in my heart throughout the day and being mindful of and thankful for God and his provisions and care for me, you are doing well. 
in your understanding of what it means to shepherd my heart. And like I said, we're all learning more and more about what this means, deepening our understanding. It does involve confession of sin. It does um, involve cultivating a right view of God, being in awe of Him, relinquishing my perceived personal rights, forgiveness, trusting God with His sovereign plan and will for my life, informing my mind of biblical truths when my heart is weak or tempted, and it goes on and on, right? That's not an exhaustive list. So this week we're going to spend some time maybe just learning a little bit more, digging deeper into what it is about shepherding my heart. We're going to go deeper in our discovery. We've learned a lot about the heart, right? But when we say shepherd our heart, let's talk about that a little bit more. It's an overflow, really, of discipline one, two, and three in all of life. How is this meeting with the Lord meant to carry over into my whole day or until I meet with him again? The gospel's transforming work in my heart must change the way I think and act and treat others in my life. The gospel realities, the time with the Lord, are exactly what my heart needs to hear when I sin in my heart. If what I've read is not affecting my life beyond my quiet time, my time set apart to be with him, I must examine why is that true or why is it not true? There is a disconnect somewhere. If I say that I've shepherded my heart, I've been in the word, but I was unkind in my words and actions throughout the day or complained all the rest of the day, there's a disconnect. And we're not talking about perfection here, right? We are sinners saved by God's grace. But we want to be women who live that gospel-transformed life we talk about. Our aim is to get God into all of life. And that aim, that pursuit, others are watching. And what a privilege it would be that as you are pursuing the Lord, that others might see and be drawn to him, that others' lives might be changed as well. That's why we come together in small groups, because we are a part of one another's lives. So we must be diligent to make those connections with the word and the rest of our day, keeping watch over my heart all throughout the day. So let's say you've been diagnosed with heart disease. The doctor has prescribed a prescription, and you are faithful to take that medication every morning without fail. You wouldn't think about missing that because your health depends on it. However, after taking that pill to help your disease, would you then consider to eat, consider eating the foods the doctor has said would only promote heart disease? You're not guarding the health of your heart. If you want to protect your heart against heart disease, you will be careful about what you eat. And so in the same way, as I am in the Word of God, when I'm meeting with the Lord, that is so important, right? It's vital to the condition of my spiritual heart. I don't want to minimize that in the slightest, but what I do with the rest of my heart the rest of the day is also very, very important. See, I can take a pill. As in our example, I can meet with the Lord and forget about Him the rest of the day. I can feed my heart junk all day long by what I listen to, what I read, or what I think about that's contrary to God's will for me. Or I can get careless and confident. So now I think I can trust myself, and so maybe I take a half a pill. Or I become inconsistent because I think I'm okay. So we want to remember here that though the reading plan is a tool to help us, it is not in itself the shepherding of my heart. One should not be able to think that they're shepherding their heart if they're not dealing with their sin throughout the day or their thoughts of God are not accurate. So I'm guessing that nobody here would consider themselves an experienced shepherd of sheep or flocks of some kind. But we all know that shepherds don't just care for sheep only in the morning, right? Shepherds need to tend them throughout the day. 
Sheep need constant care. And it can be helpful to try to come up with other ways to say what we mean by shepherding. It's certainly not helpful to use it if we don't know what it means, right? And we don't want it to become jargon. We don't want to use this word loosely if we don't understand all that it means. So we might say instead, living a gospel-transformed lives, guarding my heart throughout the day. You might ask, how is your heart? What are you doing with your heart? Pay attention to how your heart responds. So here are some synonyms that I found for shepherding. To coach, counsel, lead, mentor, guide, show, tutor. We can find the biblical definition in Strong's Concordance, and it says this. To feed, to tend a flock, to keep sheep, to rule or govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body. And this one comes closest to what we mean by discipline one, to supply what is required for the soul's need. But, as always, the most helpful way to understand what a shepherd means is to look at it in the Word of God. So when we do, we're going to find out that it's very descriptive. So there's an online uh, commentary, an online help tool um, called Blue Letter Bible, if you use blb.org. I typed in shepherd, and um, I found great descriptions of what a shepherd is, um, literally and figuratively, describing a person's role over another. So here's what I found on characteristics of good shepherds from the Word. They guard, they tend, they do it voluntarily, and they do it with eagerness. They rule, they carry, they lead, they gather, they feed, they're faithful. They train to walk in and keep and observe God's Word. They sacrifice for and they protect. They dispel fear. And that's what we're aiming for when we shepherd our hearts to faithfully and eagerly guard, lead, feed, and to train our hearts to obey God's word, to dispel fear from our hearts by drawing near to him, to know his character and his love for us. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. Psalm 103 tells us that God is our redeemer. He has redeemed us. You see, slaves were put up for sale. An owner would come and purchase the slave, and now the slave would belong to the new owner, and he would serve the owner exclusively. You and I were once slaves of unrighteousness. We belong to another. But Christ came to redeem us from that old master. Christ bought us with his precious blood, the payment for our sins. We are now his slaves, slaves of righteousness. And we have a great, kind master. And Psalm 103 continues and tells us that this master alone satisfies us with good things and does not treat us as our sins deserve. His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. That is amazing truth. And we give thanks to God for being our good shepherd and for taking so, um, he is so kind in his care of us. So let's go back then to um, our good shepherd, bad shepherd contrast. So listen to what the word says about bad shepherds. They have no understanding. And again, thinking of your time of a shepherd in your own heart, um, The word says about bad shepherds, they have no understanding, they haven't sought the Lord, they haven't prospered, their flocks scatter, their fields are ruined and trampled down, they destroy the sheep, they don't attend to the sheep, they lead the sheep astray. Bad shepherds sleep when they should keep watch, they have no pity, they're worthless. Bad shepherds leave the flock, they are foolish, they don't care for the perishing. 
They do not seek the scattered. They don't heal the broken. They devour the sheep. Those with no shepherd are described as afflicted, distressed, dispirited, or discouraged. It says a sheep no good to have a bad shepherd or to be unshepherded at all. There's no protection from affliction or distress or being discouraged. There's no sustenance or healing for brokenness. That's a very dangerous place for a sheep, and it's a very dangerous place for our hearts. Do you see the connection? Our shepherd has provided everything we need through his word. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and he lays down his life for the sheep. Revelation 7.17 says, For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life. Let's turn to Psalm 23. A familiar passage, I'm sure. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, for I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so our part in shepherding our heart is to bring that heart to the good shepherd, Jesus, so that we might receive the shepherding care that he has for us. We get a good picture of our heart here, like a sheep. We have looked at the description of a good, bad shepherd. Now we're going to look at a few facts about sheep, about us. Sheep are the dumbest of animals, they say. <laughs> they're helpless and they're timid. They require constant attention and meticulous care. They will go the wrong way, unaware of the dangers at hand. They've actually nibbled themselves right off the edge of a cliff because they're so unaware. They'll eat or drink things that are disastrous to them. They easily fall prey. They become cast down. If they get on their back, they actually panic, and they will die in that state if, if the shepherd is not there to put them right back up. You and I, like sheep, are in great need of a Savior, of a shepherd, every day and all day. I'm so thankful that God has made a way for us to know him, that he cares for us the way that he does. He never leaves us alone, does he? So we continue on with our heart shepherding. Remember the pill for our health our heart disease. We've taken our daily pill, but we don't want to eat junk all day long, right? We train ourselves to stop and to turn in a different direction in our thinking. We repent of our sin and we turn from that sin, turning our back on it. That's what repentance is. We rejoice again in our Savior and our Shepherd. It is in His great love, and we're going to have some examples. Here we go of preaching the gospel to myself, like just practical. How does that look, Suzanne? Well, watch for the elements of confession of sin and rehearsing of the gospel realities as I share this with you. So let's say you've had a really busy week and you are exhausted. You fall into bed each night knowing that tomorrow is going to be another full day. Your heart is weak. Finally, the end of the week, you have a day at home. You're looking forward to quiet, not getting in the car, and you settle in. You have expectations for your day. Nothing, right? Your husband is working today. 
He's had a busier week than you have. You are ready to take a long-needed rest, to put your feet up and read a book. He calls and he's forgotten something and he can't leave the office. He's called his helpmate. You, however, are annoyed, angry that your plans and expectations have been exploded. Selfishness rears its ugly head. Pride says you are entitled to this day of rest. All kinds of things race through your head. None of them are good, right? I'm entitled to, to this. I deserve this break. So what we see in this example are the leaves of a tree we talked about. It's the visible. But what you don't see at the root of the tree, at the root of the sin is anger and pride. We must be diligent to keep digging deeper to see what roots the sin has. Remember that sin is not an isolation. It always has a companion. The sin I first recognize is just the tip of the iceberg. There's much to this sin that lies far beneath the surface. So what's going on when maybe I talk disrespectful or unkindly to my husband who's called? Well, there's a lack of love. First, a lack of love for God, right? And his righteousness. And a lack of love for the one who I have been impatient with. We're saying, I want what I want. And you are not serving me in what I want. There is love for my own pleasure. I'm not following God's command, Philippians 2, 3-4. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. I'm not to look to my own interest, but also to the interest of others. At the root is pride. I deserve better than this. I do not trust that this circumstances is God's best for me. We're actually saying, you are not enough for me. I don't like your plan for my day. Such arrogance and self-centeredness. This is actually all-out rebellion against God. I'm saying that I could do a better job at controlling the universe than he would. Rebellion is at the heart of my sin. Do you see how digging deeper and deeper is helpful? So you've brought your heart near to God through his word, and now the shepherding continues, right? Now I bring this wayward heart of mine back to God through his word. And remember what Christ has done for me on the cross. And transform my mind once again with his truth. As those who have been chosen by God, we've been given the power to respond biblically because of the cross. Do not give in to defeat. Christ has paid for that sin on the cross. You call to mind again, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So maybe this is a way that you might preach the gospel to yourself in this. And there are lots of other passages. I picked James 1, 19 through 20. And so you just start praying through James 1, 19 through 20. Lord, I have not lived and put Christ's righteousness on display this morning. I have loved myself more than I have loved you. I have loved pleasure more than I have loved your righteousness. I know you have sent Christ to suffer for my sin, and you have bled and you have died for me. Your righteousness is precious, and I have trampled on it. Think about that. Your righteousness is precious, and I have trampled on that in my moment of anger. I am thankful for your paying the penalty for my sin. I am now clothed in your righteousness. You have loved me. I have no power to walk without anger or impatience or pride apart from you. Lord, help me to be eager to go to those whom I have sinned against and eager to continue my battle to sin. So in 2010, Smed preached a sermon preaching the gospel to myself. 
It is a really helpful sermon in going deeper and deeper into what I just shared. So if you want to listen to that, it's called Preaching the Gospel to Myself. So let's look at the sin that so easily entangles us. And I think it's number three on your outline. Oh, it's number two on the outline, actually. Number two. How does God feel about my sin? Well, we don't see sin as it really is, right? We all, we most often take sin way too lightly. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And Ephesians 5.6, The wrath of God is upon the sons of disobedience. How does God feel about my sin? His wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. His wrath is upon the sons of disobedience. Well, what did God do about my sin? Sin is a big deal, and what God did is an even bigger deal to satisfy that sin. I must know the gospel realities or I will despair. And the Christian life is not meant to be lived in despair. We walk in newness of life. God has provided a way. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to get our heart near his word. And what did God do about my sin? It's the gospel. Here we go. Romans 4, 5. Christ has justified the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. For we are still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And Romans 5, 8. God chose his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When did he die? While we were still sinners. And so many more. Look for more truths like this this week in, your, in the Word. And what are the results of what God did about my sin? Continuing in Romans 5, verse 9, we are saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, 5, we are made alive with Christ and we are new creatures. We were far off, but we have been brought near. We have been adopted, and not only adopted, we are now co-heirs with Christ. I've just preached the gospel to myself again, right? Shepherding our heart does take time. We'll never regret investing that time, though, even if it's costly. We must never stop being a student. I think this is on the end of your outline. The, the, uh, we never want to stop being a student, student, and there are two reasons. First, the depth of God's wisdom. It has no boundary. It has no bottom. It has no ceiling. If for 10 million years you sat for 24 hours a day at his feet to listen, you would scratch only the surface of his wisdom. That is mind-boggling. And the second reason, the danger of the world. Falsehood echoes more loudly and repeatedly than the sounds of wisdom. Every day a thousand voices speak into your life and mine, and the majority of those voices have not gotten the flower of their insight from the wisdom garden of the Lord. You see, we live in the middle of a raging wisdom war. It's so easy to be taken captive. It's so easy to have divine wisdom corrupted by human wisdom. It's so easy to breathe in the polluted air of a culture that no longer actually thinks there is a God, let alone that he is wise. I'll say it again, never stop being a student. Morning after morning, bow your head and humbly pray, Lord, teach me your way. Well, we all felt these temptations in our day, and here's another way that we can shepherd our heart, to tend to our heart. We can prepare to fight a temptation before it comes by simply preparing for it. Not simply, but in preparation. Decide how to handle a temptation before it comes. 
Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. Temptation is easier to face if we have decided in advance how to respond to it. If you are easily angered or impatient with those who interrupt your plans for your day, fill in the blank, whatever it might be, be prepared, knowing this temptation could soon come again. As we are diligent in training our hearts and shepherding them with the word of God, we will find we are responding rightly, more often, by his grace. What do you do as a mommy as you train your child to walk or to feed themselves or sleep? You repeat the process over and over again, right? It's the same for our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with a temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So listed on your outline is a plan for biblical response to temptation, which might include the following items. Recognize and acknowledge that you are being tempted. Quickly ask God for his help to resist. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. If possible, remove yourself immediately from the source of temptation. Make no provision for the flesh. Let's say you you lack self-control over eating your favorite dessert. Then don't have it in the refrigerator. Make no provision. Identify the unbiblical desire that would be served by yielding to the temptation. Quote and meditate on appropriate scripture. Remind yourself of God's presence, his power, and his promises. Reflect on the purpose of Christ's death. Mentally and verbally make a commitment to do the right thing, the godly thing. Get busy with a mind-engaging, godly activity. Call a godly friend and ask for help. And repeat this plan until the power of temptation is reduced. Over and over, since change is usually a process rather than an event, people often experience setbacks in their efforts to become more godly. Yet this frequently takes people by surprise. The key is humbling ourselves, yes, again and again, before the Lord in repentance. And when we get up off our knees, stepping into a new in obedience. Repentance is an ongoing lifestyle, right? It's not a one-time quick fix. Believers are repenters. Well, what do I do with and what do I do with and for my heart when I do sin? Well, first we call unbiblical desires, thoughts and feelings and actions what God does. Sin. And use biblical terms. We don't say annoyed. We say angry. Not frustrated, but impatient. Take full responsibility for your sin. Confess the sin both to God and to any others who were hurt. Ask God for help in not doing it again. Remind yourself what Christ has done and is doing for you. Reflect on the resources available to us. And again, our new man chart. Meditate on God's promises and forgiveness and deliverance from the power of sin. Accurately evaluate the changes that have already occurred and the process that has been made. Learn from failure by briefly examining what you did that you should not have done and what you did that you should not that you sh- what you did not do that you should have done. Purpose to put the past behind you in a biblical way and resume your efforts to change. Planning is important, right? But planning alone will not accomplish anything. For a plan to be effective, it must be put into practice. We do this over and over and over again. James 1.22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
James 1.22 is a stern warning against looking for looking into God's word without it impacting our lives. James says we are to receive the word implanted and to prove ourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And so that means that heart shepherding is 24-7, 365 days a year, no holidays, no vacations. Whether you're a parent or a child, you know that a strong parent-child relationship consists of more than just correction, right? It certainly includes that. But correction has a better chance of being received and making an impact if the relationship is full of encouragement and shared joys and sorrows, enriching experiences and teaching and training not only in what they ought not to do, but also what they should do, right? And there are some good principles there for our relationship with the Father. We certainly need to be aware of what we're doing in our hearts when we sin, both before and after that sin, but we lay a foundation for that heart shepherding in the face of sin and conflict when we cultivate a closer relationship with Him, when we are intentional throughout our day to keep bringing our hearts back to the Lord. So a few things that you might use to cultivate, and and, um, I know you know these, praying without ceasing, worshiping, singing, turning on praise music when you're in the car, being thankful, cultivating a heart of thankfulness, expressing needs and fears and doubts to the Lord. He knows them, but share them with him, praying for others, praying with others, listening to the word, listening to sermons online, memorizing scripture, expressing your love for God, your trust in him, remembering the gospel. Live obediently and godly as God's slave is an expression of love to him. These kinds of Christ-centered activities and disciplines lay a strong foundation for guarding against sin and for quickly identifying temptations in sin and for quickly recovering from our sin in a biblical way. The provocations to sin are endless, are they not? Temptations to complain, to be angry, to judge or be self-righteous, to anxious, to be indifferent, to worry, to not use self-control, to be self-serving to make idols out of the things we want, even good things. There are many things that we desire that are good. A godly marriage, a believing husband, children who obey their parents in the Lord, older children who walk with the Lord. But when I respond sinfully, when I don't get those things, it proves I've made that good thing an idol in my heart. But having soaked ourselves in the reality of the gospel, we are much better equipped to recognize a temptation for what it is and to turn away from it by reminding myself of truths such as, In Christ, I have the freedom and power not to sin. I'm no longer sin to this slave to this sin. I am a slave of righteousness. The gospel informs my heart that I am the chief of sinners and the least of all saints. This drives me to regard others with humility and not trust my first assessment of the situation. My heart deceives me. The gospel enables me to love, and love hopes all things. I can listen and better understand what's going on rather than jumping to conclusions. I've stumbled a thousand times into anger, into self-indulgence or fear, whatever it might be. Why? Well, maybe you've confessed it, you've prayed about it, you've memorized verses about it, and yet you still... There you would go again. Well, what is this sin telling us? It's on the top of page 3. We're going to turn to 2 Peter 1, 1 through 1-15. Peter offers hope and help with this. I just took out my... 2 Peter 1. 
Peter encourages the study of God's word, which then encourages God's people in holiness as they put its teaching into practice. Satan in the Garden of Eden questioned Adam and Eve, asking, did God really say? Christians are to fight Satan's snares by going back to scripture and by regulating their lives by God's word. We want to focus on the lasting grace of Christ and the salvation which he brings. We can stand on the finished work of the cross. We've been saved by God, from God, and to God. Remember, because of this, we are no longer our own, but we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. He now enables us to live gospel-transformed lives, and we have a battle to fight in our sanctification. So Peter begins the chapter by describing what God has done for the believer. Simeon, Peter, a servant, I'm sorry, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. We're going to continue there in just a minute. So he's given us faith by his own righteousness. He multiplies grace and peace to us through the knowledge of him. He's granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through his power and through our knowledge of him. He's granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them we partake of the divine nature, that is, we become more like Christ, and we escape the corruption of the world, sin. Because of all the God-given blessings in verses 3 and 4, the believer cannot be indifferent or self-satisfied. Such an abundance of divine grace calls for total dedication. We're called to be diligent, that is, making maximum effort. The Christian life is not lived to the honor of God without effort. Even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, the Christian himself is required to make every disciplined effort alongside of what God has done. So just quickly back to Philippians 2, 12 through 13. You don't have to turn there. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are to add to our faith. And add is to lavishly and generously add. The word never meant to equip sparingly, but to supply lavishly for a noble performance. God has given us faith and all the graces necessary for godliness. We add to those diligent devotion to personal righteousness. Our protection against corrupting influences from within is a commitment to that godliness, which God's work in Christ has made possible for us. Peter calls on us to make every effort to develop those qualities listed there in verses 5 through 7. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, Godliness, brotherly kindness, love, a real commitment to do good for others. 
Such qualities, he says in verse 8, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Christ. Again, how do we respond to what God has done? What to do with these precious and magnificent promises? God has supplied us with faith, and so now in that faith, we diligently supply all kinds of godly qualities. However, in verse 9, we see that he says that we, those who lack these qualities, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance of the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. So he has forgotten his purification of his former sins. So we ask ourselves these questions. What does my sin tell me? What does my lack of self-control tell me? What does my lack of love tell me? It tells me that I've lost sight of what Christ has done for me on the cross. I'm short-sighted. All I can think about is me and my circumstances. I'm forgetting that Jesus died for me, that I'm forgiven, that I'm cleansed, and that I'm freed. I'm not sin slave anymore. I belong to Jesus, and he has given me everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of him. And so 2 Peter 1 shows us that one essential weapon against sin is to remember, to remember what he's done who I am because of him and how badly I need him. Apart from Christ, I can do no good thing. Remember again and again and again the gospel. So we preach it to ourselves and we share it with one another. And so we pray and we're reminding ourselves throughout the day, I've been cleansed. I'm not a slave to this. Remembering what he has done on my behalf and the benefits that are now mine are essential. We begin this remembering in our time with the Lord and we carry it with us throughout the day, right? We remind our hearts and remind others of the saving grace and mercy that is now ours for those who belong to Christ. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? This is another way we can build one another up and another reason why it's vital for us to be meeting together with the saints. Haven't you had those days when your afternoon maybe has gone a little crazy and you've forgotten this magnificent truth? And you go to small group, and you sit with dear friends, and as you listen to them share, you're reminded of the gospel, of the good news, and your heart is lifted again. Remembering when perhaps I am sinned against by my friend or my husband or my co-worker, and remembering that he or she has also been redeemed, and their sin has been paid for by Christ, or that he or she has not been saved, and I recall the gospel and remember who I was before Christ saved me. I was lost, and I had no hope. I was in opposition to Christ, as this one is now, and I am humbled, and I forgive by God's grace. Do you see? And if I'm holding sin against this one whom Christ has redeemed, whom Christ has paid the penalty for, this very sin, I'm not viewing him as Christ does. I have no right to hold this sin against another when Christ doesn't hold it against them. However, I can think rightly and remember that they are no longer slaves to unrighteousness, as I am not. I can extend grace and mercy. I can forgive as I have been forgiven by Christ. Do you see how the gospel transforms our relationships? So we have seen that shepherding my heart is a constant and continual discipline. We've seen that heart shepherding is confession of sin, cultivating a right view of God, 
It involves relinquishing my personal rights, my perceived personal rights. It involves forgiveness. It involves trusting God with his sovereign plan. It involves informing my mind of biblical truths, providing what my soul needs. To faithfully and eagerly guard, lead, feed, and train my heart to obey God's word. To dispel fear from my heart or discouragement by drawing near to him. To know God's character and love for me. And the list goes on and on and on and on. We are all on a journey of sanctification. The process of being sanctified, of being made more like Christ. And we're all at different places on this journey. Some have walked with the Lord for many years and some have just begun. Together, though, we continue to grow in our understanding of who he is and who we are in him. So I'm going to close this morning by reading from the Gospel Primer. And then we'll pray. My God is immense beyond imagination. He measured the entire universe with merely the span of his hand. He is unimaginably awesome in all of his perfections, absolutely righteous, holy, and just in all of his ways. He has also been unbelievably good and merciful to me as the creator and sustainer of my life. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function of every organ in my body is a gift from him. Every legitimate pleasure I experience is a gift from his loving hand to me. All that I am and all that I have, I owe to him and to his goodness. My life in every way is and will continually be utterly dependent upon him in whom I live and move and have my being. This wonderful God is the most supremely worthy object of admiration, honor, and delight in all of the universe. And he has created me with the intention that I might glorify him by finding my soul's delight in him and by living in joyful obedience to him in all of my ways. Yet, I could not have failed this great God more miserably than I have. Instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over my life, I have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt myself above him. Going my own way and living according to my own wisdom, I have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. Thinking myself to be wise, I have shown myself to be a fool. And because of my arrogance, God has every right to damn me to the everlasting experience of his terrifying wrath in the lake of fire. So as for myself, apart from Christ, I am bound by the guilt of my sins and also bound by the power of sin, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Apart from Christ, I am also utterly deserving of and destined for eternal punishment in the lake of fire, completely unable to save myself or even to make one iota of a contribution to my own salvation. However, what I could not do, God did. And in doing it, he did it all, sending his own son into the world to die on the cross for my sins, thereby showing me unfathomable love. God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son. And even more amazingly, he was willing to allow his son to suffer the loss of him at the cross. Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. 
On the third day after Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead, thereby announcing that his death was completely sufficient to atone for every sin that I or I have or will ever commit in my lifetime. God then exalted Christ to his own right hand, where Christ now reigns from on high, granting salvation and forgiveness to all to call on him in faith. Now when my time came and I placed my faith in Jesus, God instantly granted me a great salvation. He forgave me of all my sins, past, present, and future. He made me his child, adopting me into his family. He gave me the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives me God's power, who pours out God's love within my heart, and who tenderly communicates to my spirit that I am a child of God and an heir of eternal glory in heaven. In saving me, God also freed me from slavery to any and all sins. I no longer have to sin again, for sin's mastery over me has been broken. In saving me, God also justified me. And being justified through Christ, I have a peace with God that will endure forever. In justifying me, God declared me innocent of my sins and pronounced me righteous with the very righteousness of Jesus. God also allowed his future and present wrath against me to be completely propitiated by Jesus, who bore it upon himself while on the cross. Consequently, God not only has love, compassion, and deepest affection for me, and this love is without any admixture of wrath whatsoever. God always looks upon me and treats me with gracious favor always working all things together for my ultimate and eternal good. God's grace abounds to me even through trials. Because I am a justified one, he subjugates every trial and forces it to do good unto me. When I sin, God's grace abounds to me all the more as he graciously maintains my justified state as described above. When I sin, God feels no wrath in his heart against me. His heart is filled with nothing but love for me. And he longs for me to repent and confess my sins to him so that he might show me the gracious and forgiving love that has been in his heart all along. God does not require my confession before he desires to forgive me. In his heart, he already has forgiven me. And when I come to him to confess my sins to him, he runs to me, as it were, and is repeatedly embracing and kissing me even before I get the words of confession out of my mouth. God does see my sin, and he is grieved by my sins. His grief comes partly from the fact that in my moments of sin, I'm not receiving the fullness of his love for me. He sends chastisement into my life, but he does so because he loves me and because he is for me, and he disciplines me for my ultimate good. I don't deserve any of this, even on my best day, but this is my salvation, and in herein I stand. Thank you, Jesus. as we go to our group. Father, what more to say? Take our life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth that we just read. Lord, may it impact our hearts more and more, day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for your great love for us. Lord, now as we go to our small groups, would you help us to love one another well? That we might be humble before one another and encourage one another with your truth, with your love for us. Lord, I thank you again for allowing us to gather in this place this morning. And Lord, we love you and we so want to know more of you. We want more of you in our life.
more of you, less of us. Oh, Lord, more, more, more of you. Thank you for this morning, for all that you have done and will continue to do in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.